So good evening everyone. It's lovely to be here and thank you to Mario, Eric and all the YCP team who invited me here to speak today. As you heard, my name is David Bates. I run a blog called RestlessPilgrim.net and a podcast called The Eagle and Child. I'm currently a senior software engineer at AutoAnything.com. So if you would like a really good deal on car parts, <laughs> speak to me afterwards. I moved to the United States about 10 years ago, but I grew up in England, where I had a fairly typical upbringing. I learned to love tea from an early age. I was taught how to play sports that Americans typically don't understand, like cricket and rugby. And later, my parents obviously sent me to the Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry. <laughs> I'm sure you're familiar with the biographies of my life by J.K. Rowling. Unfortunately, one of the downsides of having this delightful accent is that I'm not always easy to understand. So if you're having difficulty comprehending what I'm saying, just wave at me and I'll have another go at translating it into American. <laughs> but I'm very excited to be with you tonight and to share a message that's been on my heart for a while. Because tonight I would like to talk about entrepreneurial faith and what that means. And my goal is, at the end of this short talk, that you'll have a deeper realization of all the gifts that God has given you. And secondly, that you'll go out into the world with renewed enthusiasm to put all of these gifts to use, all for the greater glory of God. I actually first came across YCP, Young Catholic Professionals, when I was in Denver, Colorado on business. And since then, I've been traveling around the States giving talks. It's been wonderful seeing so many YCP chapters all over the place. And at each of the different YCP evenings I've attended, we actually now have one in San Diego, I've heard lots of excellent presentations. And by and large, most of the talks answer the question, how does my faith influence my work? I mean, what does my job, my career look like when informed by my Catholic faith? And this is an excellent question, and it's worthy of much exploration and meditation. However, tonight, in the short time that's been allotted for me, I want to ask the opposite question. How does my work influence my faith? And what does my faith look like when it's informed by my career? But before we really address that question, I'd like to tell you about something that I've encountered again and again as an adult Catholic. I've met people who love their Catholic faith, but they feel at a loss as to how they can contribute to their local parish. When they talk about it, they say things like, well, I can't play an instrument and I'm not a very good singer, so I can't join the choir or the music group. I'm not an especially good speaker, so I wouldn't really be well suited to be a lector. And I don't really like being up in front of people, so I wouldn't make a good altar server or usher. First of all, let me just say that it's a really praiseworthy thing for someone to be involved in these standard public lay ministries of the church. It's a powerful witness for people to see young adults involved at Mass. However, there are many, many other ways in which we can serve Jesus, support his church, and build the kingdom. When I first moved to San Diego, I was blown away. I was amazed at 
how vibrant and how active the young adult Catholic community was there. You were never short of anything to do. There would always seem to be something happening every night. And I soon came to discover that this was in large part due to Carrie, who was the diocesan young adult coordinator at the time. And over my time in San Diego, I got to work with her quite a bit, and I paid close attention to how she operated. As newcomers were established in our community, she would ask them, what are your passions? What do you love to do? And someone might reply, I don't know, I'm a rock climbing instructor, so I really enjoy that. And she would say that, well, if they were amenable, she could put an event on the church calendar one weekend, because there might be other people in the diocese who would like to go climbing with him or be introduced to his passion, rock climbing, for the first time. And this really made an impact on me. What she was doing was taking an existing passion that someone already had and transforming it into a ministry. And I saw her do this with all kinds of hobbies and professions. For example, my financial advisor also went to that church and she had him giving introductory classes to budgeting and basic financial planning. It was dangerous to have skills and to hang around Carrie for very long. <laughs> and at events like this, this might be the first point that somebody actually meets a Catholic. And most people find it far easier to invite their non-Catholic friends to rock climbing on Saturday morning rather than mass on Sunday. And these events also had a habit of drawing parishioners in who were on the periphery, who finally now had a church activity that they could get excited about and relate to. And finally, it was also at events like this where acquaintanceships from mass were transformed into something deeper, a more long-lasting friendship. And I think this idea, it can be summed up in a quotation by Gil Bailey. He said, don't ask what the world needs. Ask yourself what makes you come alive and go do that. Because what the world needs is more people who have come alive. I remember hearing a talk by a pastor from one of the Protestant megachurches. He said that in the early years of the church, where it was still very tiny, a parishioner came to him and was saying the sorts of things that I talked about earlier. He didn't think he really had anything to offer the church. He didn't think he had any church-appropriate skills. So the pastor asked him the same sort of question that Carrie asked. What do you do? What are your passions? What do you love? What do you think you're good at? And the man shrugged and replied that he loved nothing more than building things in his garage. A few weeks later, the pastor called him and said, if I gave you a budget, would you be able to build us a new pulpit? Their current pulpit hadn't been withstanding his very enthusiastic preaching each week. And the parishioner got excited. Now that's something I could do. He built the new pulpit and it was a beauty. He then concluded the story by saying that that man was now on their architecture team, building their new worship center on their church campus. This pastor started by asking about the man's passions and then set about to directing them towards the work of the kingdom. And as I travel around the States, meeting different Catholic communities, I see so much untapped potential. Every parish, and I do mean every parish, is packed full of talented people. And these people, they're employed for 40 hours a week, or perhaps more. I'm thinking of you poor CPAs as we approach it, tax day. 
They spend all this time working on their careers and working on the skills to further these careers. So the invitation of this talk is to consider all of the skills that God has given you, especially those developed in your career, and then find ways to take those skills, that competence and that enthusiasm from your job to the practice of your faith. And this is summed up in a line from Frederick Buchner. He says, the place God calls you to, your vocation, is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meets. So how do we go about this? Where do we begin? Well, I think the first step is to discern and recognize the gifts that you have. And if you find this difficult, I would recommend starting with your job. Consider the skills which you developed which allow you to do this job well. There are also lots of different questionnaires you can do, either paper or online, to help you see your core competencies. And obviously, pray about it. Take a holy hour. Spend an hour before the Blessed Sacrament and ask the Holy Spirit which gifts he's given. And finally, ask your mentors, ask your co-workers, your close friends, where they think your best skills can be found. And their answers might even surprise you. You might not even really like the things you hear. And I say this because I think we have a tendency to want the gifts that God gave other people. In 1 Corinthians 12, St. Paul talks about all of the different spiritual gifts and all of the different roles in the church. He talks about miracles, prophecy, healing. But there's one that he sneaks into the list. It's the gift of administration. I know, exciting, right? <laughs> I mean, would you prefer to raise the dead or organize a really great big sale? <laughs> Back in England, I belonged to a Protestant congregation for several years. And because it was a charismatic church, we often prayed for God to pour out his gifts on our congregation, especially those more exciting gifts. We wanted to hear tongues, we wanted to hear prophecy, we wanted to see people healed. But even while I was at that congregation, I started praying for our church, the gift of administration. And it was because I saw that's where the need really was. If God poured out that gift on our church, if we had more people efficiently working behind the scenes, we could make such a greater impact to our town. I mean, how many times have you heard of a new CEO coming into a company and shaking up something that wasn't quite working, fixing some small inefficiency, and through that small change, the company starts to flourish? Organization is the thing that makes the difference between a rabble and an army. And in the ancient world, the Roman army was formidable. And one of the reasons for that was because they were organized because of their communications and their logistics. The same should be said today for the Roman church. Our parishes are full of professional administrators, managers, team leaders, event coordinators. If every Catholic brought their talents to the service of the kingdom, the world would change overnight. The church's mission would be so much more effective many, many times over. I know I'm laboring this point, but I so often encounter people who belittle the skills that God has given them. 
They think that they can only be useful to Jesus if they can play an instrument or if they have a degree in theology. By all means, seek the higher gifts. St. Paul exhorts us to do this. But also be grateful for the gifts that you've received. There are no unimportant gifts when the giver is God. And God can use every gift to save souls, even the gift of administration. So in step one, we discerned our skills. Now what? The next step is to find times and places where we can apply these talents. And this is where we get into what I've been calling entrepreneurial faith. First of all, what does it mean to be an entrepreneur? Well, I think it principally means to be the sort of person who is always remaining alert, looking for opportunities and capitalizing on them, as well as keeping an eye out for problems and solving them when and where they arise. And I think another defining characteristic of an entrepreneur is someone who isn't afraid to get creative, to think outside the box, to step out and try something new. So what does it mean when we bring this entrepreneurial spirit, which is so encouraged in the business world, into the world of faith? I would suggest it looks very similar. Someone who has entrepreneurial faith is someone who is always looking around for unmet needs in her parish, in her diocese, and seeking to bring more vitality and more non-Christians to meet Jesus. Ask yourself, do you see an unmet need in your parish? Your priests can't do everything. Do you see people slipping through the cracks in the diocese? In San Diego, we're blessed with a phenomenal young adult team, but they can't be everywhere at once. They haven't, they're not that holy. They haven't quite mastered biolocation yet. And when you see an issue in the church, do you automatically think that it's someone else's job? Or do you ask yourself whether God might be calling you to deal with it? Or perhaps he's calling you to encourage a friend to take up the challenge. That's something I don't think we do anywhere near as much as we should, to encourage one another to step out and validate one another. I think you're really good at this. I think you'll be the perfect person for the job. And in particular, a man with entrepreneurial faith doesn't complain about the absence of men's groups. He starts one himself. And he isn't afraid to forge his own path. By the way, this is a less than subtle hint to the men here. <laughs> I think it is a chronic need in today's Catholic Church for men's groups. Amen. That's a rant for another time. <laughs> but I think Protestants are so good at tapping into this kind of stuff. At the congregation I was part of, there was a very clear understanding that every single member of the congregation, every single one, was a minister. The God had given every single one gifts, and every single one should seek to serve. And this was part of the tithe. Even in Catholic circles, we say our time, talent, and treasure. It trips off our tongue very quickly, very easily. But honestly, I think we only really think about our treasure. And we don't think so much about our time and our talent and how we're putting it to the service of the church and the service of the kingdom. In my talks, I always like to get really concrete, really practical. So I'd like to give you some examples of what I regard as entrepreneurial faith. 
A few years ago, a couple of young adults in the Diocese of San Diego felt called to do something for the many homeless who slept on the streets in San Diego downtown. So they got together and they started preparing meals and taking them to people who were sleeping rough. Other young adults found out about this and they joined them. And before long, they'd set up a common account that people could donate to. They'd set up teams, some to cook, some to package the meals, others to deliver them, others to sort out the clothes, some to give them away. And the important point is this, they didn't wait for anybody to tell them to do this. They saw a need, they felt God calling them to do this. And so they rolled up their sleeves and put their skills to work. Last year, one of my friends was going through RCIA. She was converting to Catholicism from a non-denominational congregation. And the parish where she was going, the Catholic parish, she noticed that it didn't have a Bible study. And this was something that she was used to and loved at her former congregation. And so even before she had been received into the Catholic Church, she started speaking to the pastor. And what it meant was, just a couple of months after she had become Catholic, that parish already had a thriving Bible study. She didn't wait for anyone to tell her to do it. She saw a need, rolled up her sleeves, and got to work. Speaking personally, I have always enjoyed the works of C.S. Lewis. But last year, I decided I really wanted to start digging deep into his works. And I mentioned this on Facebook, and I had lots of people say that they wanted in. And so I set up a monthly book club. But I also had people from outside of San Diego asking me if there was some way they could be involved, they could read along with us. And so I used my IT skills to set up a podcast so that they could follow along virtually. The Eagle and Child. It's available at all great places where you can get podcasts. <laughs> I'm very shameless about self-promotion, but that's okay. I'm doing it for the glory of God. <laughs> Honestly, I could give many, many more examples. Someone with a background in finance could help set up online giving in her parish. A graphic designer might give a church bulletin a long overdue rejuvenation. No more 90s clip art. I know, it cuts the core, that one. <laughs> Those with a background in IT might take a look at the long neglected parish website or perhaps help their pastor as he starts speaking to consultants to build a new one. Teachers can catechize. Organizers can organize. The options are endless. But I don't want this message to be misinterpreted as an invitation to rise up and throw off our clergy oppressors. Absolutely not. We're called to work with our priests. And trust me, your pastor wants his congregation to have entrepreneurial faith. After all, he's just one man with one pair of hands. And, as far as we can see, only one outfit. <laughs> Does he just have one black shirt? Or when you open his closet, is it just nothing but black shirts? <laughs> Father, I'd like the answer afterwards. Thank you. <laughs> so if you see a need, go and speak to your pastor. Tell him about the need that you see and what God has placed on your heart. Tell him about your skills and the solution that you have in mind. Effectively, come up with a business proposal. If you're coming to him with a problem and a solution, he is going to love you for it. 
and tell him what you're hoping to receive from him. I don't mean necessarily financial support. As your pastor, he is perfectly placed to give you guidance and connect you with other people who can help you in your mission. And if nothing else, seek his blessing. And this is exactly the kind of response that was called for by the Second Vatican Council, for the entire people of God to build the kingdom. And if we as laity do our job, if we bring our gifts and talents and put them at the service of the church, we free up our priests to be priests, to celebrate the sacraments and to shepherd our souls. Now, I see I'm nearly out of time, so in the final few minutes, I'd just like to sum up. Every single person here has gifts, talents, and passions. Every single one. And these are all nurtured in your day-to-day -day professional life. So I'd invite you, in a quiet moment tonight, consider what these strengths are. Pray about it, and ask your friends, co-workers, and mentors where they think you really shine. And write it down. And then go to the Lord and ask him, what do you want me to do? How can I put these gifts to your service? And in the coming weeks, foster that entrepreneurial spirit within you. Be on the lookout for opportunities, places where you can apply these skills that you've developed. Be on the lookout for problems to solve and opportunities to seize. Now you might want to start small, but I would also encourage you to dream big. And in the words of Pope St. John Paul II, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid to be an entrepreneur. Do not be afraid to step out and do something which nobody has done up until now, because that is how you change the world. I'd like to end with a snippet of a prayer meditation by Blessed Cardinal Henry Newman. If you'll please join me in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. God has created me to do him some definite service. He has committed some work to me which he has not committed to another. I have my mission. I may never know it in this life, but I shall be told it in the next. I am a link in a chain, a bond of connection between persons. He has not created me for naught. I shall do good. I shall do his work. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. St. Joseph, pray for us. Thank you very much. Thank you.